one more question on this subject before we move to the last question, because I, I feel like part of the chaos of our times is that we're just we're buffeted by information, but nobody ever like gets down to like the brass tacks of what they're saying. We, we say a lot, but we don't say a lot, if that makes sense at all. So would you say that like in the last, I feel like a question that's like roiled the left forever and it keeps me up at night is the, the old question between like reform or revolution. And would you be saying, cause I feel like people are vacillating currently between like, uh, let's just burn it all down <laughs> and no, like let's work with the structures we've got. And uh, would it be accurate to say you're on the like, let's work with what we got and make the most of it and uh, do the best we can from there? Up in the woods, I'm down on my mind. I'm building a stills to slow down time. I'm Well hi there, all my guys and gals and non-binary pals, and welcome to the apparently biannual installment of Extinction Rebellion Kansas City's official podcast. Soon to follow is our interview with Garrett Griffin, where we talk about just how bad the climate crisis is, and, in his professional estimation, what needs to be done about it, namely, socialism. As always, you can find us at most major social media outlets. Follow us, holler at us, and get involved in any way that makes sense for you. Okay, so I'm here with Garrett Griffin. 
one of the co-founders of the Kansas City chapter of the BSA and the author of Why America Needs Socialism and Racism in Kansas City, and currently the communications director of Community CCO. What does that stand for again? Communities Creating Opportunity, CCO. Which is? Uh, it's a nonprofit that focuses on economic justice and racial justice downtown Kansas City. Cool, cool. And so we brought you on to the podcast to ask you our big three questions. Uh, what's the climate change situation? What's to be done? And what are you doing about your, what are you yourself doing about it? So uh, you want to take a crack at that first one? Um, sure. I mean, through the lens of my latest book, Why America Needs Socialism, um, climate change and economics are deeply interconnected. I mean, this won't be breaking news to many people in the environmentalist movement, of course, um, but the biosphere, you know, to put it bluntly, is sacrificed on the altar of private profit. Um, profits come before, you know, people and planet, and that has to change. We, um, you know, we're now in a very dangerous situation where we're not just poisoning soil and poisoning water and poisoning the air that we breathe, but we're, you know, poisoning the atmosphere as well with greenhouse gases, uh, potentially, you know, we're on a 10 year horizon to irreversible damage to the world we live on. And whether it's 50 years from now or a hundred or a thousand at some point, you know, we could easily create a planet that is simply uninhabitable for human beings. Um, a planet that is too hot for our species and for other species to survive a planet that is too hot to grow the crops that, you know, that we, you know, live on and need to need to persist. Um, and so through the lens of, you know, my latest book, um, you know, the, you know, one thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is, you know, not just the, you know, individual aspect of, you know, of capitalism, where you have, you know, capitalists, you have business owners, corporate owners who, you know, don't care about the environment and care much more about, you know, short-term profit gains. Um, but there are even, you know, there are capitalists and business owners who do care about the environment and try to have green businesses and, and so on. But there's a very large, you know, sector of, of people who, you know, they want to care and they want to do things green and they want to do things differently. Um, but they're in, you know, the capitalist system, which essentially is a, you know, super competitive system that pushes people to do things that they may not want to do. Um, if you own a business, if you own a corporation and, you know, you want to, you know, go green or not poison the atmosphere or the soil or whatever, um, your competitors may not be so ethical. And so even just to survive, you know, you may have to put your ethics aside. You may have to push it, you know, push from your mind the, you know, the more positive moral aspects of, of, of business just to not get crushed by your competitors. Um, because destroying, you know, crushing people and destroying the planet uh, quite frankly, can be a competitive advantage over people who aren't doing that. And so the competitive system, the capitalist system, you know, is, you know, it, it puts those competitive pressures on people. Um, and that's, you know, something that we have to, you know, we have to address and we have to change. And so how, in your estimation, how should we go about changing that? 
Um, well, there are kind of two pronged, you know, a two prong approach that I talk about in the book and that I think about. Um, you know, one is, you know, through law, you know, we have basically a free, you know, it, it's basically the wild west right now when it comes to, you know, uh, companies pouring out CO2 and methane and other greenhouse gases. Um, it's a free, you know, it's almost a purely free market system, especially in this country. And in a free market system, people can do whatever they want, you know, no matter who gets crushed and no matter, you know, what damage you do to the planet. Um, and we have to, you know, use the law to rein in that. We have to essentially, you know, to put it bluntly, we need a total ban on the use of fossil fuels, you know, in our country and, and globally. Um, you know, we have some environmental protections that, you know, are kind of step three of, you know, 10,000. Um, it's, it's not nearly... It's not nearly enough, um, but that's the direction we need to move towards. And, you know, there are small countries in Europe, there are even some US states that are, you know, at or moving towards 100%, you know, green energy, um, Holland, Denmark, et cetera. And so this is a, you know, this is something that we can accomplish and we have to accomplish quickly. Um, besides the law, you know, I talk about, you know, this, this other approach, which is, you know, pretty, um, you know, deeply connected to the socialist tradition, which is the worker ownership of their workplaces. Um, you know, in a, in a capitalist system, you know, corporations and companies are structured like little dictatorships where you have one person or a few people at the top and all the workers at the bottom and the people at the top make all the decisions, control all the profit. You know, they decide, are we gonna put profit ahead of people in our communities and our planet? Um, but if we can reverse that, if we can switch to the worker cooperative model, um, I think it allows a greater opportunity for, um, for the workers and for members of a community to make the decisions that, you know, that, that impact them. Um, it gives people an opportunity to um, step up and say, you know, hey, like this, you know, we don't want to run our business this way. We don't want to be pouring out greenhouse gases. We don't want to be infecting our water supply, et cetera. We don't want to be polluting our cities, uh, shrouding them in pollution, like, you know, Beijing or, you know, minority areas in the US. Um, so it gives, it gives people, it gives workers, communities greater control over what happens to their environment, um, what their businesses are doing in their communities. Um, and it just gives them the opportunity to go in a more, you know, a more ethical, more green direction. Um, so those two, those two things I see as, as absolutely critical. Um, not just you know locally and in one city or in country you know in one country, but you know globally as well. We need a global ban on the use of fossil fuels, and we need worker ownership as the standard model of businesses everywhere. Not just you know not just in one country or you know not just here and there. Okay, and how do you imagine one or both of those things could be brought about? Well, that's the, that's the hard part. Um, you know, the movement for social change is always very slow and we have a very <laughs> a tight timeline, so to speak. Um, yeah, the, you know, it, there's, you know, some, you know, some people kind of emphasize or overemphasize, I might say, um, the individual um, efforts. And of course, you know, going green, however the individual can is, is super important, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, you know, the type of car you drive, solar panels on your house, uh, et cetera. But we do know that individual efforts are um, not the main problem. And that while they're not, you know, insignificant, 
Um, it's really not what we have to be focusing on. We have to be focusing on, on systems and on larger structures. We know that something like 70% of greenhouse gases are produced by about 100 companies, which you know, it kind of shows you the monopolization that's happened, you know, around the world and in our country. And it shows you just the scale of, you know, human industry um, that these corporations are, you know, pouring out these, these gases that are warming the planet. Um, so it's, it's really about, you know, trying to, you know, look at the larger picture, um, engage in the movements for social change. Um, and social change obviously has, it's kind of a toolbox that has a lot of tools, right? Um, you have smaller tools like, you know, am I going to um, vote for the right persons in office, um, sign the right petitions, send money to the right organizations? Am I going to, you know, join the right protests and marches to try to push for new laws? Um, you have, you know, maybe larger tools like uh, writing a book and advocating. Are you going to, you know, use the larger tools of engaging in acts of civil disobedience, which a lot of environmentalists have done. Um, a lot of, you know, Kansas City activists have done, you know, whether it's, you know, in the, the Fight for 15 movement, I've been involved in some of that. Um, just last week, some of the KC tenants chained themselves to a, to a courthouse door, right? And so it's kind of about, you know, using those larger tools, like the strike, like sit-ins, you know, refusing to go to your school or workplace until demands are met, um, refusing to leave government buildings until laws are passed, et cetera, you know, facing the consequences, throwing yourselves on the gears of the machine, so to speak, and engaging in that non-cooperation that, you know, that Martin Luther King was a part of and Gandhi was a part of, and so many social movements have engaged in to push social change forward. So I guess hearing all of this in 2020, though, it's like, I, I think I agree with everything you just said. And yet it's been a year with like between COVID and all the protests and Bernie losing the chance to get the nomination. Not that Bernie's the end all and be all of anything, but like as we head into election where we have Trump and Biden and there's all this uncertainty about pushing voters out or, you know, suppressing votes. What are the courts going to make of all this? How does this fit in? Like, it seems like the odds are so stacked against positive social change. Like, I don't know if that's a question or a statement. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just trying to be a downer, but I feel like if you don't, if we don't address that, then it just sounds like, you know, oh, we just got to get out there and do it. And I, I guess, where, where do you see the hope? Well, I, I, I agree. And there's, you know, there's the task is so daunting um, and there is so much stacked against us. And there is a, you know, we are, we are on the clock. Um, and unfortunately, you know, social change can take, you know, a long time. Um, but I think that there are positive signs, you know, to look at. I think that there are, you know, if you look at the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, like, it's been, I mean, obviously police abuse has been happening for, you know, for a long time, for, for many decades. Um, but if you look at the movement that started, you know, 2013, 2014, um, we're starting to see the first signs of, you know, of, of positive social change there. You know, it's, it's step, you know, two or three of, you know, 10,000, kind of like I said before, but 
you know, you're starting to see cities that are, you know, changing, you know, who goes to certain calls, right? You're starting to see changes in police departments and reigning in that leash. And I think that the, you know, the environmentalist movement, you know, we've, you know, there's been progress there too. You know, there are, you know, regulations that are becoming a little tighter here and there on, you know, how much CO2 you can, you know, pour out, et cetera. There are states and countries that, you know, have achieved, you know, have achieved the, I was going to say the dream, but I guess it is a dream just to, for survival's sake, um, of 100% renewable energy. Um, we have, you know, recently, just this last year or two, you know, solar and, and other forms of green energy perhaps became, you know, more, um, you know, became, you know, much cheaper, more, you know, more profitable than, you know, than the fossil fuels that are, you know, driving things. And so I think that there, you know, things take a long time, but I think there are, you know, signs of, of positive change. And I think there are reasons to, to hope and see that we're going in the right direction. Um, it's just up to, you know, ordinary people to, you know, use those tools, use the, the bigger tools and try to, you know, grow this movement and make it, you know, an un unstoppable force essentially. Um, and we have to, you know, we have to grow it. We have to, you know, we have to accomplish our goals as, as quickly as possible, despite the challenges and despite the, the clock. Okay. I think it's one more question on this subject before we move to the last question, because I, I feel like part of the chaos of our times is that we're just, we're buffeted by information, but nobody ever like gets down to like the brass tacks of what they're saying. We, we say a lot, but we don't say a lot, if that makes sense at all. So would you say that like in the last, I feel like a question that's like roiled the left forever and it keeps me up at night is the, the old question between like reform or revolution. And would you be saying, cause I feel like people are vacillating currently between like, uh, let's just burn it all down <laughs> and no, like let's work with the structures we've got. And uh, would it be accurate to say you're on the like, let's work with what we got and make the most of it and uh, do the best we can from there? Would that be accurate? Well, I mean, the last chapter of, you know, Why American Eats Socialism talks about, you know, talks about the nonviolent revolution that has been successful in the past. Um, obviously, when we say, you know, revolution, there's, <laughs> there are connotations of violence and, you know, some people you know, are all for that and, and some people aren't for any form of, you know, non-cooperation. Um, but I do think that, you know, non-cooperation, you know, I guess between the two extremes, you know, be between the two things that you mentioned, you know, I do think there is a middle way, you know, I think there is a middle way of, you know, non-cooperation with power um, that doesn't involve violence that, you know, in some ways violence is just a, it's almost an insult to the power of, of the people. Because if you do look at, you know, the non-violent, you know, cooperative social movements that, it, that have happened, you know, there's, there's a few studies that show they've been, they've, especially in the last 50 years, they've tended to be more successful you know, than violent revolution. And it further allows people to, it allows, you know, diversity, essentially, it allows people who are younger, who are older, who are disabled, you know, people who, 
you know, people of all stripes can come and, you know, join the, you know, join this movement. And when I say movement, you know, what I, you know, what I really mean is, you know, not just ideological, but kind of like I was saying before, you know, like, you know, we need to have, you know, like what happens in other countries, um, you know, we, we need to have movements of non-cooperation where, you know, we have hundreds of thousands or millions of people, you know, take to the streets, you know, ref and refuse to leave, you know, until certain laws are passed. We need, you know, systems, you know, we need, we need actions of non-cooperation where people will, you know, go to the White House and go to Congress and go to your state legislature and go sit in in government buildings and go, you know, sit in in the streets and, you know, block sidewalks and block the, you know, driveways of capitalists and the driveways of, you know, don't let them, you know, don't let them leave their homes, you know, lie down in their driveway and keep them from going to work. You know, we need, we need people who, you know, we, we need a movement of non-cooperation that, you know, will strike and, you know, won't go to work and won't go to school until certain, you know, demands are met to save the planet and to save the species, right? Um, so I think that, you know, by growing this movement, you know, and, you know, the U.S., like, in, you know, even in Kansas City, you know, we've had, you know, great turnout for, you know, for, for climate change marches and for green marches, et cetera. Um, but transforming those marches into something that is, you know, in the area, in the area of civil disobedience and the area of non-cooperation, you know, until our demands are met, like that's, that's the middle way. And that's the direction that we have to go. And that's, what's been successful in the past, whether it's, you know, women's movements or, you know, the, the black struggle or, you know, any other movement you can think of that has, that has pushed change forward. And so that's where the movement needs to go. Okay. And how would you say that you fit in with that movement, with what you do every day, every week? Well, I mean, I'm always ready for a little good trouble, <laughs> as the late John Lewis put it. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've been arrested a couple of times and, you know, acts of civil disobedience around the, the fight for 15, the higher minimum wage with stand up KC. Um, I think it's a matter of, you know, uh, setting that example, encouraging other people to, you know, to study civil disobedience and to lift up acts of civil disobedience, which is something that I do in, you know, whether it's in person or, you know, on social media or whatever, you know, like lifting up those acts and trying to show that, you know, as Howard Zinn said, you know, our problem isn't civil disobedience, our problem is civil obedience, right? And so trying to put people in the mindset that, you know, look at what Dr. King did and what Gandhi did and what so many women did and, you know, look at the good trouble they caused and the laws that they broke and the non-cooperation that they showed. And can you find that courage and bravery? Can you emulate that? Um, so trying to, you know, trying to lift those things up, trying to set the example, trying to educate others on how that can be successful and how it can work and how it's worked in, you know, throughout American history. Um, you know, that's, that's important to me. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you for writing the books that you have and doing the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it helps inspire other people to do whatever they're called to do. I hope so. I got this. Yeah. Yeah.
the peace of my mind Ain't nobody got no time for no wine Just a little out of line Run a bit beyond the right lane Having positive mind frame Kupa nili dream Go ang ailing marchi You are firma yakan Ito tukin yan binyal ulain It's not about fame Kicking goals, opening doors To a new era Making sure it's correct Not an error Otherwise you will disconnect And the darkest days won't last forever Even brighter days come sooner or later Yako win, tiki marchi babu yurna Bili ni nungo mori bunga wa Gotta do what you gotta do It's up to you where you wanna head up to It is hard, you gonna have to break through They turning up the pressure till it breaks you So break through, come on They come, they go, but this I know I will not let them hold me back no more I should, I score, I give my all My future, I am in control Let's go.